You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Today is August 24th, 2017, and welcome to episode four of our 2017 summer series of adventures in finance. And to my right is my trusty producer, James. James, how are you? I'm, I'm doing great. You look a little ragged, though. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, when newborns catch a cold, it means that your night of sleeping disappears. Really? Yes. Yeah, I've heard, yeah. I've heard nightmares, but never, never actually. I didn't have nightmares last night because I wasn't sleeping. Well, you know what's night not nightmarish is the fact that, well, actually it wouldn't be appropriate to announce it without first introducing Grant. Grant, how are you? Hey, fellas. I am well, thank you. I am in sunny London, um, enjoying the summer sunshine, which is a, uh, a nice change when you're in this part of the world. Do you get to do anything out there uh, fun besides uh, talking to all of our great contributors? Well, I walked past the Shard and was surprised to see nobody in the queue to go up to the viewing gallery, which is unusual in a, in mm. a kind of tourist attraction like that, until I saw the cost of a ticket which for an adult was £31 and for a kid was £25. I'm thinking... What? This is... Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous to go up in a lift, look out the window and go down again. So, I don't know. That, that's a sign of something to me, that we are we are at peak tourist attraction. I don't think they can jack these prices up anymore. It just uh, it struck me as ludicrous. But anyway, London's beautiful in the summertime, I have to say. Well, Graham, you know, maybe instead of going up to the Shard, what those people were doing was instead was listening to the Adventures in Finance podcast because as of this week, we have officially reached... One million downloads, boys. One million downloads. How does that sound? We have indeed. That uh, that is fantastic, and and it has to be said, the, the the people that deserve all the thanks for that are you, our fantastic listeners. Thank you so much uh, for sticking with us and downloading and listening to the podcast, uh, and our contributors who have just uh, been fantastic every single week. Yeah, they really have. And before we speak to this week's summer series guest, I just want to remind you guys that. Even though I won't be back, Season 2 of Adventures in Finance returns on September 7th. We're going to kick things off with an exciting first episode, and we've got a lot planned in the month of September, where everything you loved about the first season is going to be taken to a whole new level. So again, September 7th is the date. Mark it down. Put it in your calendar. But without further ado, this week we are joined by Mark Yusko. Mark, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Always fun to be with uh, the tremendous trio here. Yes, and, and I think it was uh, maybe a little over a month ago we had you on for the season finale of, um, of our Adventures in Finance, our first season, and really happy to have you back on. Uh, the whole point of this summer series is basically to, to bring back some of our favorite contributors to talk about things outside of finance and to kind of get into their, their philosophy, their thinking, um, you know, what keeps them productive and creative, uh, and also to see what you've been reading this summer. So we're going to get into the conversation. There's lots to talk about, and we're really happy to have you on. Um, but first question, and I think maybe this is one thing that uh, a lot of our listeners and maybe people on Real Vision TV are not aware of, is that you actually have a pretty extensive background, um, pretty extensive experience in philanthropy, um, beginning with the More Concrete Foundation, uh, Hesburgh USCO Scholars Program at the University of Notre Dame, and as well, uh, one of my favorites, the Portfolios with Purpose. So um, I guess just to start off, how did you get into philanthropy, uh, and, and what is it about philanthropy that you, know, that you enjoy, and, and, and why do you do it? Yeah, I mean, a couple things. I mean, one... 
you know, any of us who are in this business, you know, we, we have all been given a great gift. It's a wonderful business. It's intellectually challenging. It's, it's actually quite lucrative. Um, even when you're not super successful, it's still a lucrative business. And, and I really do believe, you know, to, to all that much is given, much is expected. And, you know, we're given these gifts and, and we're supposed to, to give back. So, um, and, and I also believe, as, as you know, in, in coaching and mentoring, and, and I've had some great coaches and mentors in my life who, who really modeled the kind of philanthropic behavior um, that I've, I've tried to model in my own life. So, um, you know, when I was at University of North Carolina, um, I, you know, met um, a number of people involved with something called the Moorhead Scholars Program. Um, that was something that, that's created to attract uh, the best and brightest students to North Carolina. And then uh, I was involved with Julian Robertson as he got um, his program started, the Robertson Scholars. Uh, that's a combination between Duke and UNC. And I have helped select students for his program. And, and so it just inspired me that, that when I left the university and formed Morgan Creek, you know, that I, that I wanted to, to do something philanthropic. So the first thing we did, you know, literally we incorporated on July 1st, 2004, uh, Morgan Creek. But the second thing we did was we incorporated Morgan Creek Foundation. And we committed to give 10% of our profits annually to the foundation. And, and then we would, uh, again, modeling the Tiger Foundation that Julian set up, we would get everybody at the organization involved, either in terms of identifying things to, to be philanthropic toward, um, or in terms of doing site reviews or visits. Uh, and so we have a little board that, that makes grant allocations. And the, the one thing that we decided is that we would <clears throat> work towards education uh, in the places where our Creekers live, so in the communities in which we're involved. So, you know, we, we back everything from, you know, early childhood education, which is something I'm very passionate about, uh, things like Head Start, to programs like Boomerang that are for kids who get uh, suspended or expelled from school and try to help them get back in school. So it's, it's just been a very rewarding uh, thing. So that, that's Morgan Creek Foundation. Um, then, you know, when we were successful and, and we had some, some good beginner's luck uh, in, in building some of our programs early on, um, I was inspired, again, by by the Moorhead Kane program and, and by the Robertson program to to create something up at Notre Dame to attract the best and the brightest students there. <clears throat> Notre Dame had never had uh, a merit scholars program. They had uh, always had need-based aid. So we went and made a proposal to, to Notre Dame that, that uh, we'd create this merit-based program. And it was kind of funny that the first time we offered it, they said, well, no thanks. You know, we don't really believe in merit. We, we believe in need. And I went back a second time because I don't usually take no for an answer. And, and we convinced them that it was a good idea. So um, we wanted to, to honor, again, a great mentor and, and someone I, I've looked up to you know, for many decades, Father Hesburgh. Uh, one of the great leaders at Notre Dame and in the Catholic community and, and really in, in, in all walks of life and you know, things that he did with Martin Luther King and, and others. So um, we wanted to name it the, the Hesburgh Scholars Program. And, and Father Ted said, well, yeah, you can use my name, um, but it's got to be Hesburgh USCO. And uh, so, okay, you're Father Ted, so you get to make the rules. Um, so that program is is a scholarship program where we, we give a, a half scholarship because we actually don't consider it 
a gift. We consider it an investment, and we want the students to be co-invested along with their families uh, with us to go on this journey. Because uh, what we provide is, is half tuition and then summer enrichment. So they get four summers. The first summer, they go on an outward bound. Second summer, they do a service project. Third summer, they do a research project. And the fourth summer, they do a, a paid internship where we, we, do, we pay um, in, in a field that they're interested in. So um, it's been a, a great program. We're in our eighth year. We've had three graduating classes. Um, and what's really exciting about it is, uh, sorry, no, we had four. We just had our fourth graduating class. We had four graduating classes. And in each of the last two years, uh, we had the valedictorian for Notre Dame from our scholars. So that's pretty cool. Then the last one that you talked about, <clears throat> which was really a lot of fun, is something called Portfolios with Purpose. Uh, really fantastic idea. Um, Stacy Asher um, and a couple guys in the business um, had this idea to, to create a, a philanthropic model. So basically it's a, a fantasy stock picking game and uh, you make a donation into the, the program. And the nice thing is that the operations of the program are covered by uh, philanthropy from, from some of the original donors. Uh, and these are big shots in you know, legendary investors in the business, Lee Cooperman and, and um, you know, Mark uh, Lasry and, and uh, a number of guys who have been very, very successful uh, over the years, David Einhorn, Bill Ackman, et cetera. And, you know, they set up some, some funds to fund the business. So all the donations from participants uh, like myself or others um, go straight to the philanthropy. So <clears throat> you basically pick a charity that you want to represent, and then you pick your five names uh, for the contest, and, and you compete. And there are three levels of uh, game. So there's the novice level where anyone can join. It's a $100 entry fee, and literally anyone can join. And, and the, the top person gets 60% for their charity, second gets 30%, third gets 10 uh, Then there's a professional class, and you have to have two years of professional experience, and you have to apply, and it's a $1,000 entry fee. And then there's the master's class, and they invite certain people to be in the master's class, uh, so you've got the, you know, the David Einhorns and the Ackmans and the Kyle Basses and the John Burbanks uh, as these legendary investors. And then they invited a couple of us, uh, and I got an invite uh, three years ago uh, to participate. So I, I joined, and that's a $10,000 entry fee, and you play on behalf of your charity. So I picked Meals on Wheels, and another thing I, I care deeply about is, is hunger. My wife's been involved with, with the Meals on Wheels organization for many, many years, um, so I've grown up with it, uh, really ever since we, we met 30 plus years ago. And so, um, last year, um, I did pretty well. So the first year, I think I came in eighth place out of the 24 in the master's class, which wasn't bad, but you know, I'm a competitive guy. I wanted to win. So last year, uh, I had a really good year and it came down literally to the last day of the year. I was neck and neck with David Einhorn <laughs> and, uh, I eked out a win up 123% to his 122%. Uh, and third place, uh, a good buddy of mine was up 121%. So it was nip and tuck right up to the last day. And, uh, you know, I ended up winning about 170000 bucks for Meals on Wheels, which is kind of cool. 
Yeah, that is really cool. And, and I think if, if anyone goes onto the website, Portfolios with Purpose, and, and looks at the list of names under the masters, I mean, it reads like a who's who of, of Wall Street and, and a hedge fund industry. Um, Mark, just a kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek cheeky question, but uh, you know, were you sending any kind of trash talk emails to David you know, leading up into the, the last week of... Uh... <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question, and, and it actually went the other way. You know, I got this random email about August a year ago, um, and, um, it's interesting, Reed Walker, who, who is a good buddy of mine. And he's, um, he, part of the reason I got involved in that, you know, he helped Stacy get this thing off the ground. Uh, we've been friends and, and, um, so long story short, we, we keep in close touch on lots of different things, but he's also buddies with, with Einhorn and David was talking to Reed kind of July, August last year saying, you know, who's, who's this USCO guy? I mean, we had met from time to time, but um, we had actually never invested with Greenlight. Um, and so I got this random email in August saying, hey, um, what do you own? You know, I, I kind of know what to root for or, or against. And I'm like, well, you tell me and I'll tell you. And, and we kind of did a little <laughs> dance. And so the three of us exchanged names and, and, uh, there was definitely some, some trash talking going back and forth. And, <laughs> you know, he's a big poker guy. So, and so is Reed. Um, and so we had some, some poker analogy working and, uh, truth be told, Reed and I actually did do, uh, something kind of cool in that, you know, it was nip and tuck as to who was going to win and, and, uh, who was going to be in first, second or third. And, and we're really close. And he said, Hey, let's do this. Let's, let's chop the pot where, you know, Whatever we do collectively, we'll split it um, 60-40. Um, and that ended up, you know, getting some extra money for, for his charity because uh, I came in first and he came in third. So uh, it was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, Mark, it's funny talking about this stuff. Um, and some of the names you've mentioned there are names that a lot of people listening are going to be familiar with. And it's always struck me the, the, the rap that these guys get, the Bill Ackmans of the world, the David Einhorns of the world, um, you know, you're you're a much lower key figure than those guys, but you know, anytime they're in the news, it's normally with with the sort of uh, italics evil hedge fund manager. Um, and you know, in my experience in this business, the amount of money that these guys raise. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we had the crazy uh, situation where all these people picketing Paul Tudor Jones's house up in in Greenwich, Connecticut. You know, talking about evil hedge fund managers when. You know, the amount of money that he's raised for charity through the Robin Hood Foundation is, is you know, it's 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 some country's GDP. Yeah, you know, it's it's exactly. It's, it's just such a it's such a shame that the juicy story is always evil hedge fund manager, right? And and never the kind of work these guys do behind the scenes. No, it's it really is. It's it's absolutely true. And you know, these guys are are by and large just really good guys. Um, you know, we had the, the annual awards dinner in, in May and, and, uh, David was there and, and we just had a blast and, and he's involved with, with a number of charities. We actually had the event, the awards dinner at, at a, um, location of one of the charities he's very involved with. And, and, uh, you know, the guys that came, um, that represented his, so each lo- each charity of the top three, their person came and accepted the check. Uh, and the guys that he had come from from his charity is, is really a unique um, uh, organization that's focused on on trying to promote understanding between governments. 
I mean, just a really audacious project. <laughs> yeah, and, no kidding. You know, just the, the things you think about in terms of just, hey, let's behaviorally get these people to get along better so we can avoid conflict and get more collaboration and get higher GDP. And, and just learning about this organization was just fantastic. So um, this whole evil hedge fund manager thing is just wrong. And, you know, a friend of mine said it best. He said, you know, the problem is people want you to do good just not that good. And so when people become super wealthy, for whatever reason, people get angry. Like, what are you talking about? You should celebrate it and be happy and, and, and look at all the things that they do. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the picketing Paul Tudor Jones house, but my mom many, many years ago worked for, you'll, you'll laugh, the guy who invented contact lenses for chickens. And that's not to make chickens <laughs> better. It's, it's to make them see worse. See, if you put lots of chickens in a, in, a, in, a pe- in a yard, they'll peck each other to death if there's too many. So he invented lenses so they can only see 12 or 13 inches ahead so they can see their food, but they can't see each other. And so you can pack more into a yard and you can increase your profit. <laughs> and he made a ton of money and he built a 30,000 square foot house on Lake Washington, where I grew up, even bigger than Bill Gates' house, which is right around the corner. And the guy's a bachelor, and everybody was like, what the heck? This is so wasteful. It's so wrong. And, and he said, wait a second. I have a staff of close to 100 people that I provide jobs for. I pay incredible taxes that go to fix your roads and your parks and, and your access to the lake. And if I choose to spend my money that way, why is that bad? And we all went, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you pay a lot of taxes so we can enjoy all these benefits. Yes, that's a good thing. So, you know, you can get all upset that the guy built a 30,000 square foot house or you can celebrate the fact that he gave 100 people jobs and, you know, did some good for the community. So yeah, it's I mean, all about the, perspective. The, well, that's it, right? The perspective. To, to, to the outside world, it's extravagance. And to him, well, I guess it was chicken feed. <laughs> um, <laughs> well played. Well I'm here played. a week. I'm here all week. Listen, I, I, we, we, we've only got so much time in this, and what, something I really wanted to ask you about um, are, are coaches because, you know, as a, as a proud alumnus of uh, Notre Dame and having, uh, you know, worked for the University of North Carolina and been in, a, in and around that Chapel Hill area, which is, which is such a, a hotbed of some of the greatest coaches, you know, college sports I've yep. ever seen. Yep. Um, you know, how, how, how has it influenced you being around these, these great, mentors uh, for young men and women, um, you know, what have you picked up from those guys? Yeah, it's, it's really an important point. And, and I have been very blessed in that regard. I, I've, I've been able to, to know and, and get to know, um, you know, some of the basketball coaches, the legendary basketball coaches down here in, in North Carolina. Um, you know, I've, I've been able to meet with Roy and meet with Coach K and, and uh, I, although I didn't know Dean Smith well, I got to listen to him speak many times. Um, but, you know, probably the guy who made the biggest impact me, on me was Anson Dorrance, you know, the, the winningest coach in, in uh, all of collegiate athletics um, and, and that he's won so many national championships with the women's soccer team. And, you know, all his women have gone on to, to dominate the, the World Cup and, yeah. and the Olympics. And, and he, you know, I've, I've gotten to listen to him many times talk about 
motivation and and the differences between you know men and women and how you motivate and team build and he's just an extraordinary speaker and and uh, um, teacher. So uh, been blessed in that in that regard. So, but I, I think the thing about coaching that's so important again for this business is if you look at the very best investors in our business, you know, all the evil hedge fund managers or, or the regular managers, the very best ones all will talk about this, that they have a performance coach or a life coach or a, a coach or mentor uh, that helps them with this concept of deliberate practice. You know, if you go out and, and practice free throw shooting, you know, I could do it all day long, 10 hours a day, and I'd never be good because I haven't had good coaching. I didn't play basketball. And but if I found a good coach to, to help me um, groove a good shot, and then I practiced it with, with deliberate uh, practice, then I'd have a shot at, at, at I, well, I'd never be a good basketball player, but at least I have a good free throw. So um, the thing about coaches that I think is, is so critically important is, is they inspire, right? They, they inspire you through, through great leadership skills. They, they motivate you. Uh, by setting, you know, goals and objectives for you to achieve. You know, one of the great things Anson Dorrance does when you walk in to practice, uh, there's a bulletin board, and on that bulletin board are 21 pieces of paper, and on those 21 pieces of paper are all the different things that they keep track of, from you know, sprint times to uh, dribbling efficiency to shooting accuracy, and there, all the girls' names are on the piece of paper from one to 28. So you're either in first place or you're in last place. And you see that every single day that you walk in and you get motivated to, to get better uh, and improve. So, and then there's, there's the, the part of, of having expertise and being willing to share it. And that's the thing that, that I've always really felt was critical in the investment business is seeking out people with expertise and learning from it and benefiting from it and, and essentially making them a coach or mentor for you at every level, right? You know, 54 years old, I'm still seeking out mentors and coaches to, to try to get better uh, because this business is so humbling. Um, so I, I, I think it is fortunate to live in a college town most of my life and, and meet some great coaches and, and have some great mentors. Yeah, Mark, you know, actually, I don't know if uh, we could ever make this happen, but maybe a trading places between uh, Anson Dorrance and, and maybe a hedge fund manager because he has a point nine four three uh win win record or win percentage. And yeah. I think, I don't know, he'd have to adapt to the uh, sub-500 uh, batting average that uh, most hedge fund managers or, or money managers have to deal with. So I think I, that would be interesting to see. I mean, maybe. You know, it would be an extraordinary, <laughs> extraordinary uh, documentary to swap. Because um, I think you make a, a really good point that when you are that custom, accustomed to winning, to go to the you know 58, 59% legend status like a Julian Robertson or George Soros, um, that's a great point. I love that idea. I mean, I, I just had to look it up. So for, for those of our listeners who aren't aware, uh, Anson Dorrance, he's the head coach of the women's soccer program at uh, UNC. Uh, North Carolina, and his record, his head coaching record, nine hundred and seventeen wins, thirty nine losses, and twenty four ties. <laughs> that is absolutely ridiculous. And you know what? Every it American out there hates those twenty four ties. Yes, he hates every single. Oh yeah, one of no, them. exactly. <laughs> you know, my favorite story, just a very quick story about Anson. My favorite story is, and this goes again to to talent 
and and there being something beyond just just raw skill is he recruited the very best player in the country to come to Carolina, which is not that hard given his his track record. And she came in, and they were in a game, and uh, one of the first games of the season, and, and Carolina was down 2 nothing at halftime. And that never happens, right? You, you heard the record. It, it never happens. And so he raised his voice, probably for, you know, one of the few times he did, and he says, you know, what the heck's going on? You know, you know such and such, I can't remember her name, you know, it's wide open, you know, why don't you give her the ball? And these two girls looked at him and said, we hate her. He says, what do you mean? He says, we hate her. We're not giving her the ball. He says, but, but if you don't give her the ball, we're going to lose. He says, we'd rather lose than give her the ball. And it was like this aha moment about culture and team building. And you can be the most talented person in the world, but if you're a jerk, get out. In fact, I have one, I, that's one of my rules, right? I have the no blankhead rule. You know, I don't give capital <laughs> to people who I think are jerks. I don't care how good they are at investing. I just don't, you know, life's too short to work with bad people. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. Uh, Mark, you know, before we run out of time, I actually want to move on to the next question. And you mentioned, uh, it kind of dovetails perfectly from what you're talking about coaching and, and, you know, the role of coaches in terms of inspiring, motivating, and sharing expertise. I want to ask you, you know, because, you, you know, you do manage lots of money, you manage a team, um, how do you stay balanced and how do you stay productive and creative despite, I mean, you said the legends bat, you know, 580. So, you know, mm-hmm. presumably we're batting you know, lower than that. So how do you, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you do to help yourself stay balanced and productive? Well, it's, look, balance is edge. You know, my thing on Twitter, hashtag edge, you know, to me, balance is the number one thing. And, and that means balancing family life, personal life, um, you know, health, uh, it's another one, you know, hashtag health is wealth. Uh, if you don't have your health, everything else just doesn't matter. And so, you know, exercise, uh, is important and I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Anyone who's seen me would say, no, he's not perfect. Um, but I, I do try to, to get some in and, and, uh, you know, actually my wife has been a good motivator there for me, a good coach, um, as is my six year old, just chasing after him is, is exercise. Um, another part is, is that family balance. So, you know, when I'm in town, which is not all the time, but when I am in town, uh, I leave the office at five 30, I go home, I have dinner with him and, you know, I may work until 12, one o'clock in the morning. And anyone who does email with me or Twitter's with me knows I'm, I'm up at that time, but, um, you know, that's just, that's how you, you get balance in, in family and, and, and work life is, is you got to make time for it. And, uh, so I think that's important. And then, you know, there's, there's relationship balance, uh, making sure if you're in a relationship that, that you pay attention to it and, and spend time. And so my wife and I went away on a weekend trip with a good couple friend of ours this past weekend to actually do my favorite thing in the world, uh, which is fly fishing, uh, which I think we'll talk about on some other uh, podcasts. Uh, you know, the, the relationship between fly fishing and investing, which I think is, is very deep. Um, and, and I think, Doing something um, like fly fishing, like um, you know meditation, something where you you are alone in your thoughts, um, you know, spending time away. Uh, I'd like to say I'm a great meditator, but I'm not. I've, I've done it, you know, a couple dozen times uh, over the, the the last few months, and I'm trying to get better at it, but I, I have not mastered, you know, like my. One of my idols in the business, Carol Sokoloff, who, who's dedicated and does it daily, 
Um, so I think that's important. But but look, balance is is really really critically important in this business because you you can't work harder to work smarter. You just can't do it because you burn yourself out. And, and I'll give you a perfect example of, of your point on creativity, which is creativity only happens when you're empty or you're clear. It's the eureka moment is real, right? Why do we have good ideas in the shower? Because we've been asleep and our subconscious is constantly working and you have that epiphany or that, that eureka moment. And I, I used to say that, you know, when, when Will was first born six years ago for that nine month period where he was, you know, literally kind of sitting on the floor and I would just come home and watch him and I'd walk in at six o'clock, my wife would hand him to me and say, I'm out. And she'd go spend a couple hours to, to catch up because um, it's hard work being with him all day. And in that two hours, I'd realize I did nothing, right? I just sat there watching him, you know, playing with blocks or whatever. But I had more really big ideas in that nine months than I probably had in the last nine years. And I re- it, it hit me that it was that meditative, that, that deep contemplation where you're not even thinking intentionally. It's the subconscious working in the background. So making sure that you have some what I'll call solitude. And maybe one of the best things that, that I've ever read, uh, and I try to read it every year, uh, it's called Solitude and Leadership by William Derizowitz. And it talks about how critically important getting away from everything and being alone to truly think and not just be bathed in others' thoughts, but actually to think about what you believe and what you really think about certain things and how you feel about ideas. So that's a long rambling answer to, you know, a pretty important question. But So Mark, one of the questions that we got from lots of our listeners, and we actually get constantly, is about the books and the sources of information that our contributors go to, um, you know, to, to, to keep learning, to further their own education, and to, you know, gain new ideas. So um, I guess bringing it to the present and bringing it to the recent past, what are some of the books that you've been reading this summer that you took with you to the beach or you brought with you on a plane uh, that you've read uh, and would like to share with our listeners? You know, I wish I had a good answer. Um, you know, my, my, my joke on this is that, you know, my wife reads more books in a month than I've read in my whole life. I mean, she just <laughs> devours these things and, and, and reads them nonstop and, and just so many I couldn't even list them. Um, and I always have good intentions of reading books, and I, I, just, I just don't get to them. I mean, I read so much for the work, for the job. You know, I read annual letters and quarterly letters and, and manager, you know, pitch books and, and white papers and, and all the stuff that I, I, just, I just don't get around to picking up a book. And, and it's, it's not good because there are two things that, that I think you really should do. One is, is read biographies. Uh, mm. of great investors and great people. And one of my favorite you know, managers um, has read a hundred biographies of, of great men and, and great women, great men and women, so great people. Um, and he said he's, he's found incredible insights uh, in doing that uh, for investing. So uh, I think that's something important. Now, I, I will say I do get a little bit of that, although it's not in book form, but you know, when I write my letters, which some say are books in and of themselves, because I, I tend to be <laughs> a little long-winded, um, I do a lot of reading for that. And so while they're not books, like when I wrote my, you know, Welcome to Hooverville, 
um, piece. I did a lot of research on Herbert Hoover and and uh, learned a lot about him and, and things that he believed and, and didn't believe and things that I thought worked and didn't work. <clears throat> so I do I do get that. And then when I did my piece on Soros or Shakespeare or Prince or, or others, so I do get a little biographical stuff that way, although it's not the full book. Um, the second thing I think... Um, people have talked about that's important is is reading science fiction and science fiction is something that um you know again frees the mind and and makes you think about things that that can't happen uh and i think that's a big thing to investing and one of the big things in investing of of really you know making big returns is getting in front of something that couldn't or shouldn't happen um, and riding it where other people don't. So, you know, being early uh, in something like Amazon uh, when it was just a book company um, and losing money in every book and making it up on volume uh, and now one of the most valuable companies in the world. So uh, I think, you know, reading science fiction and being able to not only think outside the box but think like there is no box uh, I think is important. Now, for me, about the only thing I actually have read this summer uh, are books for six-year-olds. So recently I've been reading the Dragon <laughs> Breath series, which interestingly are kind of cool. I, I will say uh, it's actually a local writer <laughs> from here in North Carolina, and they are very well thought out. They they like a lot of things like good cartoons that, that play both to kids and adults. Uh, she's got a lot of things for, for adults in there, kind of subtle jokes. Um and there's a little bit, a little bit of science fiction and fantasy in there, um, that that goes to my last point. Um, but I've been I've been reading a lot of those lately with with my six year old. Um, I had every intention of um, reading the Peter Principle, um, and I did what I always do with books: is I read the first you know half chapter, and then I put it on my bedside table and you know didn't pick it back up. <laughs> so I had like 20 books on my bedside table that have read the first half chapter. Um, but the thing about the Peter principle is, you know, it explains why things always go wrong. And, uh, I think that's something in where we are today and where I think we are in terms of valuation and where I think things could go wrong. I think this idea of, of thinking about how it will happen, why it will happen, I think is, is important. Um, but really, uh, in lieu of, of not reading enough and really not having beach books, because um, when I'm at the beach, I, I tend to, again, be playing in the sand with the six-year-old, mm-hmm. um, I did get to binge watch uh, my two favorite shows, Billions and Silicon Valley. And, you know, Billions is just so brilliantly written. Mm. And if you're in the industry, you got to watch it because it's, it's a literally, you know, biographical about so many people you're like wait i know right. that guy wait i know that lady I, wait i know them <laughs> and then you see a cameo of, of jim chanos or something and and it's very cool so awesome um i'm, I'm psyched about billions and i love i love that but silicon valley is another one that the writing is incredible if you're involved at all in making venture capital investments and thinking about technology you absolutely should watch that show and while it's technically you're not reading um, I do think it has some value in in uh, broadening your perspective and and helping you expand your mind and and get a little balance in your life because it's really funny too and you know we all don't laugh enough and uh, we should. That's a really great point and, and you know Mark to be perfectly honest I never thought that in a single 
podcast episode, we would could go from Dragon Breath to Silicon Valley. But I guess that's what the summer is for. <laughs> uh, you know, while that's you're t- right. while you're talking about Dragon Breath, uh, I just had to look up some of these titles or riveting titles. Uh, Attack of the Ninja Frogs, Curse of the Werewiener, and uh, what was this? No such thing as Ghost Revenge of the Horned Bunnies. So I, I, I it is. Oh, it does the Jackalope. <laughs> the Jackalope one is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right now we're 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 doing the one about uh, the evil fairies. Ah. And uh, number seven. What What's awesome again is is it turns out that uh, you know the fairies that adorn all of our daughters' lunchboxes. That's really not what fairies are. <laughs> so, mm. um, kind of fun. Well, let me know when you get to number eight, because that one's Nightmare of the Iguana, and we got tons of them here. I mean, I could probably write that book myself here based off my, uh, you know, my time living in Cayman. So, uh, you know. That's right. That's the next book, so I will get there shortly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mark, thank you so, so much again for your time. Uh, for our listeners, I mean, a lot of our listeners are familiar with, with your work and, and where they can find you, but for those of you who don't, uh, how can they do that? So I'm um, easy to find on Twitter at, at Mark Yusko, M-A-R-K-Y-U-S-K-O. Uh, our website is morgancreekcapcap.com, and there's links to all of my quarterly letters and some of the stuff we do in the markets. And otherwise, um, if you Google for Morgan Creek letters um, or Morgan Creek, you'll find some stuff on us as well as a pretty interesting film production company out in California. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Mark. Mark, listen, as always, uh, such fun sitting and talking to you. And listen, make a note about that fly fishing question because the next time you and I sit down and talk for Real Vision, that's exactly where we're going to start because I'm fascinated by this. No, Grant, always great to be with you. Thanks for having me and enjoy your time with your daughter in London and and having some of that balance in your life and uh, modeling for the rest of us. And uh, I really look forward to the next time we talk because uh, I do love to talk fishing. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Thanks again, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. So, Grant, off the air, I'm pretty sure James promised Mark to go fly fishing when he comes down to Cayman. So, uh, what do, any, any Can you fly fish in Cayman? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I didn't know you could. I, I would doubt it very much that you could fly fish in Cayman. But, hey, look, I, I, I am willing to be proven wrong. Not often by James, but I am willing to be proven wrong. James, can you fly fish in Cayman? Yes, you can. It's great really? bone fishing. Yeah. Where, where does this happen? Are they, are they, aren't they different things? Oh. <laughs> Well, the best place to go fly fishing is actually behind the dump, believe it or not. All right. We are not going to be, I hope Mark doesn't listen to this, to the end of this podcast, because we are not taking him to behind a dump to go fly fishing when he comes to Cayman. But with that, we'll be back next week with the final installment of the Adventures in Finance Summer Series. And we have an awesome guest lined up for you. He's someone that gets requested a ton. And we had a fascinating discussion about his boxing career, long distance running, and how scuba diving transports him to a different world away from the frenetic capital market. So it's definitely a conversation you don't want to miss. But more importantly, we will be back on September 7th with the first episode of Adventures in Finance Season 2. Now, even though I won't be back, the guys over here have been working hard to put together something really special and really exciting for you guys. It's not to be missed. All right, well, with that, let me get into the usual legal disclaimer. Anything you heard on this episode should not be considered as trading advice. These are our opinions and the opinions of our contributors only. So do your fundamental research, chart your technicals, place your stops, and trade responsibly. If you have an interesting question for us about either this week's show or anything else you've heard on Adventure in Finance, then please, we'd love to hear from you. So please send us an email uh, or a voice note at podcast at realvision.com. 
If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. Let's not get into it. Ah, still with the reviews. I'm still ah, with the reviews. Nice. If you want to keep up to date with the latest interviews, research publications, and of course, podcast episodes, uh, then please follow us on Twitter at Real Vision. You'll find us hanging out on Facebook and LinkedIn. Just search for Real Vision. And you can follow me on Twitter at TTMYGH. Finally, you can follow me at Macrodida. That's it from us. We will see you next week for the last in the summer series. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips and ads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com